All right. Any other questions from the phone? Uh, yeah, Crackdown Podcast. There are over 10,000 Vancouverites who can't socially distance because of inadequate housing. There are around 25,000 empty homes in the city. Will you commit to expropriating these homes to ensure Vancouver's most vulnerable residents remain safe over the coming months? Okay. So the uh, question from Crackdown Podcast is, uh, will the city commit to uh, expropriating uh, empty homes to provide for the uh, 10,000 folks that are vulnerable in the downtown east side? Um, uh, no, not, not uh, expropriation is not our list of things to do. I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 14, Emergency Measures. All right, well, um, uh, this is... <laughs> Just this have is... to kick the cat out. <laughs> Get out. Um, we're trying to record from home, which is atypical for our show. Uh, this is Sam, um, on. one of the producers of the show. Uh, and uh, you're you're there Garth. You <laughs> you're Garth, one of the hosts of the show, the host of the show. I wanted to um, start by asking you if you can remember the first time you heard about the coronavirus. Well, um, I just uh, hang on. Let me look at my my notebook. Uh, it was January third of this year. I have this little notebook where I write down, uh, you know, things for the podcast, uh, things for the drug user union, like activist stuff, stuff that we're doing or working on. Um, and just at the bottom of this uh, this page of notes about another meeting, it just says coronavirus in quotation marks. And I can tell the way I've written it is like, what? You know, like, what is this? Yeah. Sort of like a little squiggly question mark and wrote it down. It's not like a diary of all my feelings and everything that goes on in the news or anything. It's stuff that I think is affecting us or might affect us Mm -hmm. and at the time did you have like how much of your kind of mental space would this have been taking up hardly hardly any at all really um it it, it it's probably just something that just on the edge of my consciousness at this time anyway and then uh i think you know by it was um saturday march the 7th i was just having a coffee and kind of in the background this press conference was streaming with Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's the provincial health officer here in, in BC. So you may have heard about the, the cruise ship that is uh, currently off the coast of California, where there's been concerns about COVID-19. Uh, both of these people were... Nope. This is like somebody you've met before, right, Garth? Like you... Yeah, I met her, and we've kind of gotten to know a little bit about who she is uh, just through the overdose crisis. And her her comments are always very professional and measured and, and sort of even... Uh, two people that were identified as positive yesterday had symptoms um, in the recent days. and the, You know, the press conference is just playing in the background. And yeah. And I kind of hear her voice drops. And at this time, I'm asking people to consider having virtual gatherings, to consider not coming together, particularly if you have people in your gathering who are, who are elderly, who are more... Um, You can see in this video, she kind of, she kind of looks down, and then there's something that I've never seen in a press conference. So the minister, the provincial minister of health, Adrian Dix, sort of like, looks like, you know, should he go over and comfort her? Excuse me. Just take, take. It's okay. Who are more susceptible to having severe illness from this, um, from this disease? And if you are going to get together, let's look at uh, refraining from our usual greetings. Now's the time to put some distance between us. So this really grabbed my attention, and so I put down my coffee, and I thought, oh, fuck. She knows something's coming. I guess, first of all, my notebook that had these little notes at the bottom now becomes full of this stuff. And I started canceling travel plans. Um, uh, like Crackdown uh, is has won a pretty prestigious uh, award 
a, another award and we're quite lucky and we were supposed to go to Toronto and pick it up. I canceled doing that. Um, I canceled other travel for work. Uh, we stopped holding Narcan training sessions in person. Um, we started to make decisions about um, all those kind of things. And I was talking to Lisa, you know, she was, she was coming home, she was coming through Seattle. And so we were, um, we were quickly realizing we were gonna have to self-isolate right away. And that's what we did since, uh, since just a couple days after that Saturday. It feels like ever since the speed, like the rate at which this has gone from the kind of periphery of at least, at least like my brain to just front and center, it's been, it's been so fast, you know? My colleague, my colleague Gordon, he got sick um, with, um, with, with symptoms that seem like they're probably coronavirus, but he can't, um, or may, maybe, maybe not, but he can't get the test. And then I know Garth, one of your colleagues as well, right? That's right. I got a coworker. Uh, I mean, this to, to all the listeners, this podcast is actually my side hustle. The main hustle. I have a coworker who uh, did test positive for COVID nineteen, and so everybody's working from home now. Um, he's he's recovering, but uh, you know, we we kind of realized this is this is really um, getting around. And- yeah, and 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 I think like maybe even more than the stuff that was happening with the people that we knew it was just like the news stories were getting more and more surreal at this kind of dizzying rate right so it's like the the economy is just totally bottoming out and then in my in my notebook i'm seeing you know governments declaring a state of emergency um borders sealed bands start canceling the concerts then it was professional sports and the next thing you knew it was the bars are being shut and um, so I, wait, and, wait, Sam, I didn't, I didn't really, the professional sports didn't speak to me, but that somehow, that was a turning point for you, right? Yeah, because watching basketball is maybe the only thing I do that has like no political or emotional content, really. It, you know, it's just, it's just a way to sort of turn my brain off. And there was something that, I don't know, there was something like really earth shattering about even that, you know, is even that's going to get wrapped up in this. Um so like when the NBA season was canceled, you thought, oh shit, this is, this is real. This is a, it's this really, is a big yeah. thing. One of the first things I did is I started calling around um, my friends and, and uh, you know, comrades and people on the editorial board to just find out um, how they're doing and, and just like, are, 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 are they able to get ready? Is there, is there anything that I can do to help? You know, and we were, you know, we were, I was seeing how people were in different states of awareness about this. Like I was just coming to grips with all of this. And so there was some people who were like, oh yeah, this is, this is happening. And some people were just like, I don't, I don't really know what to believe. I don't know what's going on. And it was a very chaotic feeling there. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the first people I called was Laura Shaver from the Crackdown editorial board. And she's also the president of the BC Association of People on Methadone. Let me get the recording started here. Okay. Are you there, Laura? Yeah. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Where Where are you right now? I'm I'm up in my office upstairs. At Vandu, and what's Vandu like right now? Vandu is fine. And do you know much about the um, coronavirus, the COVID nineteen? So a bit, yeah. I've been and watching some. I've been watching some of the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, announcements, the email, some emails back and forth, that kind of stuff. And uh, do you know, like, are you, you and Martin, are, are you doing anything in particular because of it? Um, well, not so much. Kind of paying attention to, you know, what's happening with pharmacies and um, trying to kind of, you know, squirrel away this and that just to, you know, uh, just to make sure that we are not the last squirrels to be taken care of when shit so... hits the fan even harder. Yeah, I mean... No, I did, I did the same thing. I've been squirreling a little bit myself. But you probably had to, you know, get on the train and go to your pharmacy this morning, hey? Uh, you betcha. And, you know, the thing is, too, also, is not only that, is that there's a fucking, Acad- excuse me, Acadian shortage as it is. That's right, yeah. So you have to go to your pharmacy every day to, to drink your methadone because the, the, the rules say that you do. The rules say that a pharmacist has to witness and of course, if we're supposed to sort of isolate ourselves or quarantine ourselves sometime, that's going to make it really hard, right? Like, well, I'm screwed. And not only that, the people that are going to that pharmacy with me are the most marginalized 
you know, porous demographic. We should be the people that are, you know, kind of being first. If if shit's going to hit the fan, it's going to hit us hard and fast. I mean, I am I am worried about us. I'm worried about people in Vandu and BCA Palm and on the editorial board because some of us have a compromised immune system or COPD. Like, are you worried about your partner, Martin, right Hell now? Hell yeah. He's got fucking Crohn's, advanced Crohn's disease and he has a hardcore compromised immune system and I am fucking petrified. Excuse me. You know, the the last thing I was thinking about is is because methadone doesn't really cut it for a lot of people and because a lot of people aren't on methadone, a lot of us still got to go see a drug dealer every day and get something that way because we don't have safe supply. So that seems like another way that we can't actually follow what the um, public health officials are saying. And the public health officials are saying that, you know, so isolating yourself and, and social distancing, they call it, are are a good idea. But how are, how are we supposed to do that? Do you have any thoughts about how you would manage to do that with and still getting drugs? Do you know what? You just made me think about... So can do they think the virus can be um, passed on like through objects? Yes. So if you touch, if someone who's got it touches an object, it, basically the virus lives in the little droplets that are in your lungs and your throat and your nose. So when you cough, those droplets come out. You get them on your hands when you shake hands with people, when you hug people. If someone puts their hand on the railing of a, a bus and then you put your hand there, and then you touch your hand to your eyes or something. That's how it transfers around. Okay. So, you know, the thing being is that huh, it could almost be like double dangerous seeing your, seeing your dealer because, you know, there could be one person that has, like, passed off something to somebody, and then boom. That's right. The drug supply chain could be a, a vector of COVID-19. Uh-huh. Has has the Vandu board had a meeting about what this could all mean? You know what? We just had a board meeting yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. I don't think anybody is paying proper attention to it here. Or or if they are, they're people are so used to fucking misinformation or paranoia or people's fabrications that because I'm not just... hearing people talk about it that much, too much. Like, we, we don't know what's true, and then we also don't know if we can do anything about it anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it seems like Laura is just starting to come to terms with this. And um, I know Ray, who people may have met in episode two, I know Ray's been thinking about this for some time. And recently I was talking to Ray because uh, he was his slumlord was kicking him out, like physically chucking them out of the building. And he wanted me to come over and just kind of back him up because this guy was being a little thuggish to them. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess like it makes a lot of sense that you'd be worried, like what is going to happen to Ray if he's having to kind of figure out this housing precarity thing like right at the start of this brand new public health crisis. Oh, man. There we go. So how's it going? Oh, Ray. <laughs> Ray. How's it going, Ray? Um, Not too bad. Uh, feeling okay right now. Um, but, uh, you know, what's going on in the world, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what is what does that mean for you guys? What, are you doing anything special uh, for COVID-19? Uh, well, it's kind of been bad. Well, it's bad timing, period. It's, it's bad, period. It, there's never a good time for something like this to happen. But, uh, yeah, we've just uh, been through a transition of uh, homes. The place I work has virtually been shut down due to uh, the virus. Um, gatherings can't uh, be occurring over a certain size, and uh, that's really affected things, so... Oh, jeez, I'm sorry to hear that. You're you're always so uh, you're always so polite when you talk to us, but um what you were saying at first there, you got evicted and this was just about a week ago, right? And and I know because I was there for part of it that you you guys have a place now, but obviously it doesn't seem to bother landlords and slumlords to kick people out while things are happening like this. Yeah, he uh, uh things kind of came to a head, I think uh he just basically, I know he's going to raise the rent immediately there. 
and uh, we were the last long-term tenants. I called him and uh, asked if it would be okay if we had an extra day. And he said, yeah, no problem, no problem. And uh, 90 minutes later, he showed up at our door and uh, force moved us, basically. Like, luckily, we weren't moving very far from our abode, but uh, it was very emotionally and physically upsetting. I mean, you you and your partner called me up the morning just while this was happening, and you, I mean, you always sound like you do right now, Ray, but your partner was extremely upset, and uh, it, you relayed to me that he was being uh, like just a real aggressive dick about it. Well, it kind of came like, I mean, I was in the other room when he came to the door and uh, knocked, so I wasn't physically present. But but he's, he he said to your partner, may I come in like like a vampire would ask? Yeah, yeah, inviting, <laughs> inviting the vampire in, indeed. <laughs> and it was, things were not exactly perfectly boxed. And, I mean, we're not the type of people that can just go out and buy those professional boxes and stuff or get a moving company, etc. And uh, we have a lot of stuff. When he came in, he was shouting and uh, he's a physically fit man as mentioned and uh, he turned to me being the male I guess and uh, got all bulgy and veiny and just kind of flexed and what the fuck dude and you know and uh, my wife had to get in between us because she was worried that uh, he might hit me or something and uh my wife was in tears during the whole thing. He forced us to move at his speed for like three or four hours. We were, I actually um, called you to see if you could come at that, uh, at that time, which you did the following day to, uh, you know, supervise the key exchange and move out and help us. But uh, yeah, we did feel supervised. You're so, <laughs> you always, um, you always give us a little bit more uh, polish than maybe we deserve. I just stood in the corner and folded my arms and kind of give him a shitty look. That was my my whole role, I think, in that. <laughs> your you just your presence was enough, you know, as a witness and as like uh, you right. know a fairly uh, tall, you know, you had a posture and you were just there, you know, just having <laughs> you there was like a great relief. I'm glad that you guys have uh, a place now uh, and that you're away from him. But um, I know that that's that was just kind of as this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic was, um, you know, getting up steam, and now it's kind of in full gallop. And um, like that stimulus package, you don't know, uh, you know, Trudeau's announced stimulus. You don't know whether that means that there's going to be extra support for your rent because your job has evaporated. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, it's not, and I mean, my job is only basically part time, uh, as mentioned. So like, if I tried to get that, and they asked for all these details about where you work, because you got to work under the table. Yeah, basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's just like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, do you still have to go to the pharmacy every day? Yes. Yeah, this is something we've always talked about like what if vancouver had an earthquake which was the first thing we talked about and everything went down and then the next thing i brought up was what if there was a pandemic because i i kind of i over the years i've researched the 1918 uh influenza spanish so-called spanish flu outbreak and that's always been a big concern of mine because I, when it comes to being really, really bedridden and sick for two weeks, best case scenario, I would pick that over two months of agony or a month of agony of this, you know, other option of not having your medicine if you're too ill to get there, or, you know. Right. So, so you're saying that you would take COVID-19 over a month of dope sickness? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No doubt. I mean, this is just for people to understand just how bad dope sickness is. This is a really, really good indication. You know, I know your um, your partner has health issues too, right? And yeah. so you you must have been 
in your own head thinking, what are the provisions for me to um, put that distance between you guys and the rest of the world? Exactly. Right now, I think we have one frozen pizza in the freezer because, like, as mentioned, we just moved. So every cent has been sunk into this whole move. I mean, we've begged and borrowed and, you know, and uh, scrounged. And uh, now we, you know, yeah, sorry, we just had uh, my wife's running in trying to grab the pizza before it burns, the proverbial one frozen pizza. So you guys are about to eat your last, the last food that you have. Yeah, it, it's, it's, oh, and it just burnt. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> oh, fuck. It's not like we're going to throw it away, though. We'll just throw some hot sauce on it. <laughs> Look, uh, I know you guys have been, you got, you, you worked on this new song. Uh, you sent me a little bit of it. Uh, the song isn't really finished. It's an adaptation of an old blues song uh, that, and, uh, uh, that was turned kind of into a folk song, and um, uh, Tom Waits did a version of it. And uh, want to give it? Can you? Or is a guitar nearby? Can you give us a few uh, a few bars just over the phone uh, of the song? Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Just a second. I don't know if you'll be able to hear me, but I'll try. Not even sure if it's in tune. <clears throat> okay. There's a crooked street in Vancouver town It's a well-worn path I've traveled down Now there's ruin in my name And I wish I'd never got off the train I wish I'd listened to the words you said don't go down to Hasten Street. Don't go down to Hasten Street. Don't go down to Hasten Street. Oh, yeah, you'll be lost and never found. So now the government is telling everybody to self isolate, but that's really hard to do if you're uh, couch surfing or if you don't have a house or if you're getting evicted or if you're just in a precarious situation or there's a lot of people living in a small space. It's pretty hard to do. And it's also hard to self-isolate if you have to go every day to the pharmacy to pick up your methadone or whatever. So I've been trying to figure this out. You know, I've called a lot of um, federal and provincial government officials We've been in all these meetings trying to change the rules and, and move something along. But really, we were we're really trying to get answers fast for people. So Yeah. So another thing that we've been trying to do um, to, to try to get answers is that uh, myself and some of the other people who produced the show, we've been attending at first attending in person and later calling in um, to these public health press conferences. And, and these are things that now take place every single day. Thank you. Next question. Hi, I'm Sam Fan with Crackdown Podcast. Our editorial board is made up of people who use drugs on the downtown east side, uh, many of whom are immunocompromised. Uh, our board members have to go to the pharmacy every day because of restrictions not allowing them to get methadone carries. Others uh, top up in the black market. Um, we don't understand how they are supposed to socially isolate. Um, will you change rules, uh, the rules around opiate agonist therapy to allow people to have carries and carry a supply with them more than one day? And will you um, give uh, our editorial board members and the other vulnerable people in Vancouver a safe supply of drugs? Thank you. You know my um, my views on safer supply and pharmaceutical alternatives to street drugs, and I'm obviously a very much a supporter for that. And I know we have a number of initiatives ongoing that we want to increase. Um, I will also say that we are actively working with um, with organizations in the downtown's east side in particular, but in other communities as well, to support means and ways of protecting people from this virus, but also allowing them um, to not have to congregate in certain ways, uh, including um, ways to safely provide them with the, the, the medications they need. Absolutely. I don't have the details. 
that's one of the things that we're looking at. Yeah, and if you remember, as we did the plan last week, I mean, one of the challenges up to now is this has been the COVID-19 cases have been largely linked, not exclusively linked, to international travel. And that's a different community, obviously, than people who are struggling uh, with addiction issues of all, of all kinds. But there are a lot of vulnerable communities. We've seen uh, seniors in care and other communities, and that's a key focus of what we have to do now in this phase uh, should uh, the virus become more generally uh, distributed to people around BC. All right, any other questions from the phone? Uh, yes, Crackdown Podcast. There are over 10,000 Vancouverites who can't socially distance because of inadequate housing. There are around 25,000 empty homes in the city. Will you commit to expropriating these homes to ensure Vancouver's most vulnerable residents remain safe over the coming months? Okay. So the uh, question from Crackdown Podcast is, uh, will the city commit to uh, expropriating uh, empty homes to provide for the uh, 10,000 folks that are vulnerable in the downtown east side. Um, uh, no, not, not uh, expropriation isn't on our list of things to do, but however, uh, we are exploring uh, additional spaces. I have a call with the federal uh, housing minister right after this press conference where we're discussing uh, funding and how they can help us uh, provide spaces to keep people safe if infections do start to uh, move into SROs and other vulnerable populations. Part of why we're making this episode is we want people to know what resources are available and what's happening in the neighborhood. A lot of our work happens on the downtown east side of Vancouver. And uh, so this update might be out of date, you know, by the time you hear this, things are changing really fast. But, uh, you know, according to the city of Vancouver, on March 17th, there are 11 hand washing stations that have been put out around the neighborhood. And that's so that people can, uh, you know, be able to wash their hands and, and be safe like that. And there's not always a lot of those facilities in SROs and, and uh, for people who are uh, camped out, you know, uh, in the park and stuff. Um, and in, in terms of harm reduction, Vandu is still open and planning to stay open as long that, as possible, right? That's right. There was a, a meeting. A meeting was just letting out about half an hour before recording this. Uh, supervised consumption. We've heard from people who work there that they're still doing their jobs so that they're trying to do it um, with fewer people kind of crammed close together so that there, you know, there's, there's distance between people. Um, and the people who run Vancouver's supervised consumption sites are hoping that there isn't um, a, a major slowdown work shortage or, you know, God forbid like that one of these places has to actually close. And the greater Vancouver food bank is asking people for financial donations. They're saying that uh, they're saying that food insecure people can't stockpile and that they receive no funding from government and they're facing increased demand for food. So um, one of the people that, that we wanted to talk um, about all this with was uh, was Gene Swanson. So Garth, how, how long have you known Jean for? Jean has been around for a lot longer than me. So she's been uh, organizing with people in the community, um, particularly against poverty. And um, she's been doing that for, I must have been since the 70s. But I, I mean, I've known her for... <clears throat> A lot of years now. One of the amazing things recently is there was just a grassroots campaign from anti-poverty and housing activists and drug user activists a couple of years ago uh, to have Jean run for city council. And, and, and all these grassroots people worked on the campaign and uh, they helped get her elected. So she has been in city council, although just, just one voice on that council there um, for the past couple of years. Would you mind uh, just introducing yourself for our tape here? Yeah, my name is Jean Swanson, and I'm a city councillor in Vancouver. Um, and and uh, do you have a moment when you when you sort of realize that COVID nineteen was a a real thing, a sort of a real threat? I don't know if it was a moment. It was basically the last seventy two hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. What what's happened over the last seventy two hours, like to you? I mean, I know what's happened in the world, but but how have you uh, felt it? Well, I just watched the daily briefings, and the number of people who have it in BC keeps going up. I'm like, every every day I have my fingers crossed that it will go down, but it's like, I, and I'm 77 years old, and I can't 
I was telling my brother last night, I can't remember this ever happening before like this. And he said, oh, there was polio. And I remember, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, my mother was petrified about polio and she wouldn't let us go swimming anyplace. And it did affect a lot of people. But, um, yeah, so it looks like it's pretty bad. And I'm, of course, really concerned about folks in the downtown east side. What are your what are your concerns about about us, about our safety? Well, um, just starting with the SROs, I mean, that what people are saying is you have to wash your hands with soap for 20 seconds, right? So I'm thinking of the SROs, and I've been in a lot of them. And whenever I go in an SRO, I always look in the washroom and often take pictures and send it to 311. That's the city hall complaints line, yeah. Yeah, I have never seen soap in a privately owned and run non-gentrified SRO washroom. I've never seen soap in them. So I'm like, I'm thinking, oh my God, we got to get some soap. That was the first thing I thought of. And uh, then in the shelters, you know, they have bunk beds and they have mats that are three feet away. So this is bad. And um, then I'm thinking of people who are homeless. Who How are they going to wash their hands? They don't have water even. Right at this point, I don't think it's a matter of passing a motion. I mean, there's no council meeting until the 31st, and that could right. be canceled or it could be done remotely. I think the thing is to just try and get the powers that be to use their emergency powers to do what's necessary and to work through that. So you uh, you sort of highlighted some of the issues in shelters and SROs and for people who don't have housing at all. And um, I, I'm thinking also there's there's people who are renting, right, who could be facing evictions. Like uh, my buddy Ray here, he got evicted from his place just about uh, a week ago. You know, and so there's still sort of business as usual slumlord ass kickings going on. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, the Vancouver Tenants Union has a petition out uh, calling on governments to ban evictions and until this is over. It should be banned forever, but anyway, at least until this is over. So it is really important for people to put pressure on governments to do the right thing rather than just assuming that it'll happen. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you and Wendy have been watching the situation with the Balmoral, uh, which we covered in, I think, episode six. Um, that was an amazing episode. Uh, <laughs> Garth, well, thank I you. just wanted to say that was so amazing. I knew Jay, but I didn't know the aspects of him that you revealed. It was so human. Yeah, it was great. We we loved getting to know Jay, and uh, we we loved doing that story. And I, I just – I have known and, and <laughs> used drugs in the Balmoral for such a part of my life that it just – it's always the, – the name always really rings out to me. And – and so I know that you kind of – you sort of followed, um, you know, when people were getting moved out of the ball world because it was structurally unsound. There was a an, another place that was kind of opened up to have people in. Was there was there any thoughts about, um, you know, uh, the city buying or finding places for people who don't have housing to go right now? Have you heard any discussions like that? I've been – Missling emails to the powers that be saying we need to get a motel or two motels or three motels. Yeah, it's a good idea, I think. Well, I, I hope you, I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay healthy. And um, I hope you stay safe too. And crackdown is amazing. Thank you so I'm much. I'm so glad you're doing it. It's so good to have a voice of um, people that use drugs out there. Nothing about us without us. I love that saying. So yeah, keep it up. I, I would be talking to you in person today, probably, if it wasn't for this. So I would. Uh, yeah, and we'd maybe have a hug. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. I was just thinking that. Uh, so uh, here's the virtual hug. Thank you, Jane. Okay, virtual hug back. A lot of people in my life have been asking for better information or clear information. I run into people who say this is all just hype 
really, that it's just a, a media fixation or a conspiracy or something like that. And uh, I want to tell you, this is really serious. And so we're just going to give you some basic information about, like, what is the coronavirus? Like, what the fuck is COVID-19? So according to the World Health Organization, um, if you have a fever, a cough, or difficulty breathing, those are the symptoms of COVID-19, and you should seek medical attention. Um, but call in advance. Don't just head into the doctor. In most places, they've set up a special line. Uh, so just Google where um, what that line is where you live um, and call them. Coronavirus transmits through liquid droplets from when a person sneezes or coughs, and they can get into you uh, when you pick them up on your hands, when you touch something, or they can get in through your eyes, your nose, or your throat. And that's why everybody is going to be telling you, you know, try to avoid touching your face as much as possible and wash your hands like all the fucking time, right? As much as you can. 20 yeah, seconds. Of, on a, That's sort of on the personal level, but on the like, I guess like on the um, more population level, um, there's, there's still just so much shit we don't know, right? Like we don't really know with immunity if you have it. Um, how long before you can get it again. And um, they've developed a vaccine. They've given it to somebody in Seattle, but we don't really know if that's going to work. And so the name of the game and um, is this uh, thing they call flattening the curve. And that's basically why we're recording this in separate rooms, um, right? So what is that? What is social distancing? What is it? Like, why are we doing this? If we all catch this at the same time, a small proportion of people will need to go to the hospital. But if everybody gets it, that's quite a number of people, and that'll overwhelm the hospitals. I mean, the other part of this is the virus doesn't live forever. So if we deny it people, if we deny it hosts by going into our houses and slow the spread of it down, then it just doesn't get a chance to catch fire as much. And that's the other way the curve gets flattened. So for those of us who have been able to find a way to socially isolate, it's actually a great act of solidarity with everybody else particularly people who can't, you know, so if there's people out there who can't because of all these structural reasons we've talked about on the show, like precarious housing or being forced to go pick up your methadone or whatever it is, if you can't isolate yourself, you're going to need that hospital. So what I can do is I can get the fuck out of the way and make sure I don't need it at the same time. If it reaches some critical mass in the population, there's no stopping it. And then we are all, then we're stuck with two awful choices of, a year plus of social distancing or hundreds of thousands of people dying, you know? But if we can break the curve and bring it down by being really super vigilant right now, then those things might not happen. Yeah, and the other thing that's worth pointing out here is like maybe you're sitting at home thinking like, I feel I feel fine, you know? Like, I'll, I'm just going to go out and um, and just live my life. But the problem is you you may actually be carrying it because there is such thing as like, being asymptomatic is what they call it but you you have it but you just don't feel like you have it a lot of this stuff sounds very scary and it is and a lot of people are feeling pretty anxious about it but there are some things we can do as drug users and people who work with drug users to keep ourselves safer we learn skills of how to be resilient and how to tack and turn and find quick solutions and and try to reduce the harm i mean social distancing hand washing coughing in your sleeve that's all harm reduction. So we can apply what we've learned from that past five years. So I talked to Crackdown Science Advisor Ryan McNeil about this. The overdose crisis is still here, even though this is going on. So what can we do to keep safe? You know, don't inject alone, but if you're around somebody, just maintain some distance. Six feet, cough or sneeze into your arm, don't touch your face, and wash your hands. Wash your hands regularly, generally, but 20 seconds, soap and water, and if you don't have access to those, use al an alcohol-based cleaner or wipe. Um, you know, another thing people can do is if they're in a position where they have a phone and they're going to be injecting, call someone, preferably someone who's really close to them, like in their building, and ask them to stay on the line while they're injecting so they can come act or call 911 if they become unresponsive. Um, and we'll link to this advice on the website. Um, but I, I think, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me is for, for drug users, it's some of the symptoms of COVID-19 are the same as how we feel when we're dope sick. Yeah, this is, this is one of the worst parts about this. If you're someone who uses drugs, 
those those symptoms like fever, muscle soreness, runny nose, these are these are symptoms. But I think a, a key thing to keep in mind is if it changes and be, begins to become associated with a persistent cough, then it could actually be COVID-19. So that's definitely something folks want to be on the lookout for. So, so Ryan, what do people do if they are sick? Yeah, I mean, so if, if you're sick, you have to get a sense of how you're doing, um, you know, and the point at which you might require medical care. So certainly self-monitor, uh, determine the point at which you may need to see a doctor. Um, but something that's really important is avoid going to your local harm reduction addictions programs. I mean, get in touch with them, have them deliver things to you. You want to tell them that you're sick so they can take, take steps to keep themselves safe. We don't want to we don't want to risk spreading this around any further and especially right, into the community of folks who use drugs. And there'll be this period of time when you just don't know what it is, you know, before there's a chance to get a test or anything like that. And I think that's the time to be cautious. Absolutely. One of the things I've thought I've thought a lot about is there could be, you know, there's already disruptions to things all over the world and all over the economy. It could also happen to the the drug supply, like the illicit drug supply, street drugs. And dealers could get sick. So what does that mean for us? I mean, we're, we're going to have to, in some ways, expect maybe there could be dope sickness. Yeah, I mean, one of the most brutal parts about this is that people need to prepare for the very real possibility of going through involuntary withdrawal. Right. So certainly folks should try to have contact information for a lot of different dealers. Ideally, people you trust, given how toxic the drug supply is. Um, you know, people can talk to a medical provider about getting started on methadone, bup, or, um, you know, some of the other advanced options that are available in some places like Canada, like slow release oral morphine, and just make sure the folks have the things that they need to be able to potentially go through withdrawal. if That's what's going to happen. I mean, sad reality is so many folks have experience going through withdrawal on either because they've elected to try to try to do that or because they've had some disruption in their lives. So having... You know, food, drinks, medications, and things, protein or elect- electrolyte-based drinks like, you know, Gatorade or Ensure on hand is really important. And I've been talking to a bunch of drug users, and, you know, we're all talking about trying to sort of, uh, well, Laura calls it squirrel things away. You know, a bit, get a bit of a stockpile, like put something aside if you have any money, uh, you know, put some drugs aside in case of these kind of disruptions. When and where people can, absolutely, please stockpile drugs, alcohol, whatever it is that you need so that you can try to be safe. Harm reduction supplies, syringes, all that stuff, right? Yeah, harm reduction supplies. Naloxone. Yeah, naloxone will be especially important to have on hand because the very real risk that EMS and ambulances basically are going to have a harder time responding because they're going to be so busy with this. Right. And and for methadone and suboxone or, or whatever else like that, um, this is a challenge too, because the way they prescribe it is mostly we have to, uh, you know, line up at a clinic or go to a pharmacy every day uh, to get it. And so it makes stockpiling it quite difficult. Um, a few of us here have been kind of trying to put a little aside and, and manage that way. But w- what do you recommend for people in this situation? Yeah, uh, immediately people need to have a discussion with their provider about getting take-homes or more refill- refills on their medications so they don't have to do that. And, you know, if you're in a position where you can make a decision about that as a policymaker or provider and you're listening to this podcast, you have to do this. There's an ethical imperative to ensuring that people have continued access and we need policy to line up with what people need. No more patronizing, cop cooked in addiction treatment programming. We need to give people agency to stay well during this pandemic. I got to say, it's been really frustrating because, um, you know, I've been on the phone lobbying and cajoling all these kind of various officials and functionaries and while um the economy has been put on pause businesses shuttered governments declaring emergencies borders sealed some reason the very little detailed and paternalistic rules of of methadone seem to continue on uh quite strongly and and people are, are slow and and hesitant to amend that stuff so uh, we really got to shake the old that old rusty system right to the ground and just um, have people not worry about diversion anymore. You know, like, I think that we all hope we can put aside enough that we'll be even able to help our friends who weren't so lucky with our own. But that's diversion. That's They don't intend you to use it that way and they guard against it, you know. So I, I hope we can convince 
people that this is a serious enough time to abandon those old ideas. It's long past time that we identified that diversion can be protective. So certainly people being able to share Suboxone or Methadone right now, that might keep someone from getting dope sick and putting themselves in a situation where they're either at risk of greater risk of overdose or of getting COVID-19. Absolutely. It's, it's really ironic. During what you just said, I could see there was a call coming through on my other line from the pharmacy. And I had a call in there to just ask about shortages of methadone. And he's calling back. And so he's like, yeah, there's enough for today and blah, blah, blah. So I guess we'll see. This has just laid bare every single failure in our system. It's brutal. And we have to come out of this looking for ways for that not to happen. And that means us completely revisiting the ways in which we do everything, not the least of which is how we deliver support to folks who use drugs. We have to actually, all of these changes that might happen, like carries and take-homes, has to be accompanied by safe supply. We have to do these things. And that they might become possible now is, because of the, the dire situation we're in, is the reality of, of this pandemic, but we can't let it go back to how it was if those things happen. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to lead people in putting this together. I'm glad the podcast can support this uh, in putting this advice out to people. And um, yeah, thanks thanks for uh, walking us through it, Ryan. I hope you, you and Laura stay safe there and stay healthy. Thanks, Garth. I hope the same for you and Lisa and all the folks in Vancouver. You know, one of my other reactions that's been surprising a little bit is I've been frustrated because I have seen every day the government has more and more announcements. But for the five years of our overdose crisis, uh, that was a public health emergency and nothing like this happened. There were no extreme measures. There was no sense of urgency. And I just feels to me like I guess the wrong people were dying. Um, I, I want to just first of all, I just want to share your sense of frustration, you know, like before I came on to help you make crackdown. Like a lot of the reporting I was doing was on stuff that um, left-wing people thought was interesting and, and kind of nerdy people who like to consume a lot of politics, podcasting thought was interesting, but it was about like the privatization of elder care um, in Canada and about um, say for the, the conditions in, in prisons and about the way that drug prohibition made people vulnerable. And I feel like so much of what, the reporting that a lot of us have been doing uh, and that Ryan, the research that Ryan McNeil has been doing as well has been around like the way that the status quo, whatever you want to call it, neoliberalism or whatever, was making people fu very fucking vulnerable. And all of the people that are in our little community, they're doubly affected now. They've got two crises to face. So we have to uh, have a reckoning with that. But it means that our show has no choice but to cover both. We have to do it all. And what brings these things together are the structures, the forces behind it all. And I think it's time we just peeled back the layers and looked at some of these bigger forces that are putting people in the bullseye, or maybe that have been revealed by the COVID-19 crisis. Like all of a sudden, people are able to look capitalism face on and see, hey, people don't have sick leave at work. Uh, people's work dries up and there's nothing there to catch them. People get evicted from their house. Uh, people don't have a safe supply of drugs. People don't have a house. You know, all of these things that are making it worse are all part of this system. And we've got to change what we do with this podcast and really look at that system more. This is a different contract now with you guys, the listeners, right? We're going to be making a show that our topics may expand a little bit. We're going to be doing more reporting and trying to cover this as it happens. But um, we're not just going to be uh, we're not just going to be chasing a virus. We're going to be chasing the whole reorganization of society as it happens. We're really at an inflection point in history. You know, like there's a deep crisis, and so the government can try and bail out the people at the top. We can fight for better uh, social democratic reforms. You know, a fairer society where there's more sharing. Or people on the right can come forward with authoritarian solutions. Really, 
history will branch off in all kinds of directions, but we do know it's not going to be the same as it was. There's choices are actually really stark now. There's no sort of center path anymore. It's uh, what Rosa Luxemburg called a century ago, socialism or barbarism. So the time for these kind of choices and these kind of policy discussions is here. And we want to be there doing that. There's a crooked street in Vancouver town. Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. You can support us at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. Thanks to Louise Vincent of the Urban Survivors Union, North Carolina, and to housing activist Wendy Peterson, and to OPS Vancouver manager Trey Helton. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Fess, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Dave Murray, Al Fowler, Laura Shaver, and Sharice Kiwatton. R.I.P. Sharice. Crackdown's senior producer is Sam Fenn. Our producers are Alexander Kim, Lisa Hale, and Alex DeBoer. Our science advisor is Ryan McNeil, assistant professor and director of harm reduction research in the Yale School of Medicine. I'm Garth Mullins, host, writer, and executive producer. You can follow me on Twitter at Garth Mullins. Original score written and performed by Sam Fenn, James Ash, Kai Paulson, and me. Our theme song was written by me and Sam with accompaniment from Dave Jens and Ben Appenheimer. We make this podcast with funds from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and from our Patreon supporters. Follow us on Twitter at CrackdownPod. Our website is crackdownpod.com. Be safe, keep six, distance yourself if you can, and wash your fucking hands. Don't go down to Hasten Street. Don't go down to Hasten Street. Don't go down to Hasten Street. Oh, yeah, you'll be lost and never found. It'd be so hard to turn around, so don't. You have been listening to a sided media production. C I D E D. Find out more at sidedmedia.ca.